Hello, it's Friday, the second of December, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. A Seoul court is deliberating over an arrest warrant for the ex-national security adviser Seo Hun over cover-up allegations involving the death of a fisheries official by North Korean soldiers. We'll have the latest updates in news briefing shortly. South Korea's consumer prices rose 5% in November, the slowest on-year gain since April, suggesting a slowdown in inflation. We'll take a closer look for weekly economy review. And then coming up on Movie Spotlight, we'll be reviewing two local releases, a historical drama starring Ru j u n y e o l and a comedy starring Ma Dong-suk. Let's begin Korea 24. That was a scene as a former national security advisor, Seo Hoon, arrived for his arrest warrant review at the Seoul Central District Court on Friday. Seo Hoon, who served under former President Moon Jae-in, faces allegations that he orchestrated a cover-up regarding the shooting death of a South Korean civil servant at the hands of North Korean soldiers in 2020. Seo Hun stayed mum to reporters asking whether he was acting under orders from President Moon and then walked into the court building. For more on this story and the rest of the day's headlines, our KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee Jin joins us in the studio now. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, Jang Won. Now, as we briefed our listeners on Thursday, former President Moon issued a statement on this incident warning the incumbent administration not to cross the line in its investigation into his government's handling of the case. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, what can you tell us about the former spy chiefs, uh, the former uh, national security adviser and the former spy chiefs warrant deliberations on Friday? Well, Saw so appeared at the Seoul Central District Court at around 9.45am. The former spy chief is accused of deciding to conceal the killing of the fisheries official Lee Dae-jun by North Korean soldiers near the Western Maritime boundaries in 2020 and instructing government agencies to delete related intelligence during a minister's meeting held the day after his death. He's also suspected of ordering the Defence Ministry, the NIS and the Coast Guard to fabricate reports to make it seem as if Lee attempted to defect to the north. The court is set to reach a decision as early as Friday. Former President Moon warned the incumbent government in a statement on Thursday not to cross the line, claiming that related authorities are now overturning previous conclusions based on the same information and circumstantial evidence that had formed the basis for his own administration's very different findings at the time. Yes, a decision expected to reach before tomorrow morning, so we'll see which way the court decides soon. Let's move on to other headlines now. The nation is on tenterhooks as South Korea take on Portugal in their last group match of the 2022 World Cup on Friday in Qatar. Everything is on the line as Team Korea, currently sitting third in Group H, faces difficult odds to advance to the round of 16. Now, Hee-jin, can you run us through the various scenarios that may play out? Well, South Korea, as you said, will face Portugal in their last group match of the 2022 uh, FIFA World Cup at 12 a.m. Saturday Korea time. Uh, Team Korea, which stands at 28th in FIFA rankings, has a chance of advancing into the round of 16 only if they've beat Portugal, who currently sit atop 
Group H and uh, stands at FIFA's ninth rank. Uh, and if the score for the other group match goes their way, Portugal has already secured a berth into the round of 16, having defeated Ghana and Uruguay 3-2 to and 2-0 to zero, um, to uh, come into Saturday's match with six points. South Korea held Uruguay to a scoreless draw in the first group match, but lost 2-3 to Ghana in the second match to earn one point with a goal difference of minus one, putting them third behind Ghana in the group. Team Korea's head coach, uh, Paul Paolo Bento, uh, said in a news conference that the team will do their best in the face of a strong team. South Korea's key defender, Kim Min-jae, is still struggling with a calf injury, but did make it for the last day of training before the match, while Portugal's boss, uh, Fernando Santos, said the same day that there is a 50-50 chance that the superstar Cristiano Ronaldo will play. If the Tegok Warriors are to advance to the knockout stage for the first time in 12 years, they must not only beat Portugal, but also rely on a complicated array of possible results of the Ghana-Uruguay match unfolding concurrently to build uh, break their way. The easiest of it, which for uh, Team Korea is a one-goal victory for Uruguay. Mm. Indeed. Uh, meanwhile, some uh, 20,000 spectators will likely gather at street cheering events across the wider capital region to cheer on the Tegok Warriors, right? Indeed. Uh, pe- uh, police estimate that some 15,000 will show up at Gwanghwamun Square in Seoul, 1,500 each in Incheon and Anyang, 500 at the World uh, Cup Stadium in Suwon, and 200 fans at a sports complex in Uijongbu. However, police say the final crowd tally may vary, uh, what with the late kickoff and freezing temperatures at night here in Korea, which has pushed many cheering events indoors in theatres, pubs and performance halls. Indeed, I'll be watching from home with the family as well, but mm-hmm. I'll likely be cheering or cursing as if I'm at Kwangman Square as well. <laughs> Now, back to more grave concerns. The ongoing trucker strike has reached day nine. The government warned on Friday that it may issue return-to-work orders to truckers in the refined oil, steel and container industries as losses continue to mount in those sectors. So, what can you tell us? Well, Interior Minister Lee Sang-min issued the warning during a meeting of the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters, saying the government will immediately take such a step if the disruptions in logistics deals blows to other industrial sectors. According to the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy, disruptions led to a total of 1.1 trillion won in losses in the steel sector, including setbacks in uh, shipments at the country's five major steelmakers estimated at 870 billion won or equivalent to 671 million US dollars while firms other than the big five have incurred losses of over 200 billion won. Steelmakers are facing the most devastating fallout among the four major sectors for which the government is tracking damages incurred. The other three are cement, auto and refined oil industries. Uh, The number of gas stations reporting dry pumps across the nation has jumped by nearly 60% from the previous day to 52. 32 of these are concentrated in Seoul, Incheon and the Gyeonggi province. 
Turning now to the international stage, South Korea, the US and Japan made back-to-back announcements of sanctions against North Korean entities and individuals linked to the regime's nuclear and missile development. The trilateral coordination is an apparent effort to maximise the efficacy of a global push to restrain Pyongyang's nuclear weapons development amid a lack of progress by the United Nations uh, Security Council. Can you break down the latest sanctions for us, Heejin? Well, South Korea, the US and Japan introduced simultaneous new sanctions reflecting their united front to clamp down on the regime's repeated provocations. This comes as permanent members China and Russia fiercely opposed further restrictive action against North Korea within the UN Security Council. Washington's call for the council's presidential statement censuring North Korea was met with a tepid response. Uh, Early Friday, Washington made the first announcement designating three high-ranking officials of the North's ruling Workers' Party for their involvement in the regime's development of weapons of mass destruction and intercontinental ballistic missiles. Seoul then followed up by expanding its existing blacklist, adding eight North Korean individuals and seven agencies linked to Pyongyang's nuclear and missile development, as well as its evasion of sanctions. Tokyo then named three new agencies and one individual. The three countries' simultaneous announcements are apparently aimed at drawing the international community's attention and maximising the efficacy of that clampdown. Uh, Designations by the three allies also intersect and overlap with each other, which will likely make it more challenging for the North to dodge restrictions. The three sides are reportedly further sanctions targeting Pyongyang's shipping and cyber industries as they suspect the regime is injecting profits from illicit cyber activities into nuclear and missile development. Moving on, next year's budget bill, the first submitted by the Yun sang administration, will miss its midnight deadline in Parliament amid a clash between the two main rival parties. Can you elaborate? Well, National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo apologised in a press statement on behalf of the Parliament that failed to review and pass the bill for the 2023 budget within Friday. The Speaker added that he will convene plenary sessions on Thursday and Friday of next week to pass the bill. The announcement comes after the ruling People Power Party and main opposition Democratic Party failed to reach an agreement on an agenda before the Friday deadline. Kim called on the two parties to put their rivalry aside to focus primarily on the budget amid a global economic crisis, inflation, high interest rate and a slowdown in exports. He pledged to do his best to mediate between the two sides and find a solution that will satisfy the public. He then called on Parliament to pass the budget within the current regular session set to run through the 9th of December. Earlier this week, a rival parties clashed over the agenda for the plenary session this week with the DP demanding that a vote be held on its motion to dismiss Interior Minister Lee Sang-min for his handling of the fatal Itaewon crowd crush just over a month ago. The PPP urged the opposition to pass the budget rather than insisting on the political distraction to, uh, created by the DP's motion. We'll have to wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates, Heejin. Thank you.
South Korea's consumer prices rose 5% in November, but that was the slowest on-year gain since April, suggesting that there is a continuing slowdown in inflation. However, it was also revealed this week that exports fell for the second consecutive month in November, leading to eight straight months of a trade deficit for the first time since the Asian financial crisis in the late 1990s. To discuss these developments today for Weekly Economy Review, we of course bring in our expert guest, economics professor Yang Jun-suk from the Catholic University of Korea. Professor Yang, hello. Hello. Okay, we start with these inflation figures for November, which were released today. Uh, South Korea's consumer prices rose 5.0% on year last month. That may still be considered considerably quite high, but uh, the growth pace has continued to slow from a month earlier. And it is, in fact, the lowest on-year gain since April, when it posted a 4.8%. So, Professor it looks perhaps encouraging, but can you tell us what's behind that figure for us? Okay, well, uh, as you said, headline uh, inflation fell by 0.7 percentage points between October and November. Core inflation, well, if you look at the 12-month figures, it may not look as good. The uh, core inflation uh, without, uh, inflation without agricultural goods and oil, it stayed at 4.8% uh, last month and this month. Uh, core inflation that excludes food and energy that actually rose a little bit from 4.2 to 4.3. But let's take a look at inflation just for the month of uh, November, not Mm. 12 months, but just for November. Headline inflation was minus 0.1%. And core inflation was 0.3%. Last month, it was 0.6%. Core inflation uh, uh, that excludes food and energy, last month, it was 0.4%. This month was 0.3%. So uh, there's been a trend for about two or three months uh, that the uh, monthly inflation has been falling. Uh, So it does seem like the uh, inflation perhaps has peaked. Uh, We can carefully uh, hope that the inflation will not rise to 6 to 7% levels. Uh, But the uh, Bank of Korea is warning us that uh, inflation will remain low. at a fairly high level for a long time. They say uh, it'll remain at 5% level until uh, uh, early next year. Uh, I hope, my my feeling is that it'll be slightly less than that, high 4% Mm. range. Uh, It'll still be high, but uh, at least it won't be the monster figures that we saw uh, during the summer. Uh, uh, And I also suspect that perhaps inflation for last month was a bit overestimated because the uh, government decided to raise all the utility costs like electricity and gas. Right, so the Bank of Korea is saying that uh, it will likely stay on the 5% uh, level until early next year amid uncertainties, including global oil prices. But as we said, 5% is still high, but compared to uh, the summer months that we had recently, it's perhaps a a little bit more encouraging, at least. Right. Uh, So uh, I carefully uh, will say that the uh, inflation perhaps may have peaked, but we will not get back to our uh, target normal rate of 2% in the near future. Mm. Uh, So there will probably be a need to maintain a high interest rate for a long time, Uh, that will be the same in the United States or in Korea. Right. I was going to ask, so in the U.S. as well, uh, I'm guessing we're seeing a slightly less uh, uh, slowdown uh, in the inflation figures, but it's still quite high uh, for now anyway. 
Okay, so on one hand, uh, for the economy, the inflation situation is perhaps looking a bit more rosy. However, according to the Trade Ministry, South Korea's exports fell for the second consecutive month in November. Outbound shipments reached $51.9 billion last month. That's down 14% from a year earlier. Imports, on the other hand, gained 2.7% on year to $58.9 billion on the back of high global energy prices. So trade deficit totaled $7 billion last month, continuing an eight-month streak of losses. And it's the first time since the Asian financial crisis in the late 1990s that the trade deficit stayed in the red for that long. So, Professor, how concerning are these figures? Okay, well, it is... Somewhat worrying, but we shouldn't worry too much about it. Uh, the accumulative trade deficit uh, for this year is $42.6 billion. But if you look at the current account, which is uh, more uh, of more wide figure than the trade account and perhaps uh, more relevant to a national economic health, uh, the current account, it's uh, it includes not only merchandise trade deficit uh, merchandise trade but it also includes services trade and uh, income flows as well and uh, that is still in surplus obviously it's down a lot since last year but still it's in a surplus so uh, we're not in uh, sort of a desperate straits yet uh, and korean if you just look at korean exports cumulative from january to november it's 629.1 billion dollars that's actually higher than all past years except 2021. So exports have actually done very well. It's just that imports have grown faster. Mm. Uh, Now, uh, the the, uh, reason that the exports have fallen in the recent months uh, is partially because we had such a great year last year, Mm. but also because the... uh, there is a decline of uh, exports to China. Other other regions fell as well, but it's China which made the critical difference. Right. Uh, and while some people are saying this is representative of a, a long-term trend, uh, there is a long-term trend which will reduce our trade deficit, uh, trade surplus with China, mm. uh, as Chinese economy catches up with Korean technology and uh, develops uh, in, uh, better industries on their own. They will have less demand for Korean uh, intermediate parts. So we knew from the beginning that uh, Chinese uh, Korea's chi- uh, trade surplus with China will fall sooner or later. Mm. Uh, and some people are saying that this uh, current decline is representative of that. Mm. Personally, I think uh, it. Uh, I think this is not representative of that long-term trend. Uh, I think it's more because uh, during the summer, uh, the uh, China had uh, zero COVID policy, right. so their factories right. have shut down. Uh, also, the hot summer made the factories shut down as well. Uh, they're still running the uh, zero COVID policy, so they don't uh, because the factories are shut down. They don't need intermediate parts. Mm. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, trade deficit uh, will lessen or maybe even turn a surplus if China uh, eliminates their zero COVID policy, but. Who knows when that's going to be? Right. It all depends on China then. So uh, I guess we'll have to see next year if things can turn around. Well, IMF is saying that the world export growth will fall significantly uh, uh, next year compared to this year. They're predicting that it will only grow at 2.5%. Uh, and their uh, 2023 figures for world export growth has been 
revised downward from beginning of the year. Mm. Uh, beginning of the year, they were saying that trade will grow at 4.9%, and even that was considered low, uh, but now it's about half that. And Korean exports tend to uh, follow the trend with the uh, global uh, total exports, so Korean exports are probably going to fall compared uh, compared to this year as well. Uh, the problem is that the world growth is expected to fall next year, so there will be less global demand. Interest rates in the United States are expected to continue to go up. Uh, Previously, we thought it would end around 4.5-4.75%. Now they're saying 5.5% to 5.5%. And we were hoping that the uh, rate will stop increasing at the first quarter of next year. Right now, it seems likely that it'll go on to at least second quarter of next year. Mm. So uh, the uh, world will have a slow growth for a considerable amount of time. Um, and uh, so if there's no global demand there will be less Korean exports. Okay, so perhaps uh, we should be expressing and bracing uh, for the exports uh, to slow down for Korea next year as well. That is something that we're just going to have to, I guess, uh, deal with. Let's look at one more issue uh, and back to something more positive. Uh, for the first time since August, the $1 exchange rate fell below the 1300 mark on Thursday and it just about stayed below 1300 today as well. And this comes after the local currency hit as high as 1444.21 against the greenback in late October. That was the weakest figure in nearly 14 years. So, Professor, what do you think uh, we should make of the ones rebound against the US dollar? Okay, well, if you remember uh, when the uh, Korean won uh, depreciated quickly uh, around uh, September of last uh, September of this year, uh, it was first because the United States uh, started to increase their uh, interest rates at a faster pace than previously expected. And then the uh, won depreciated by uh, 1021 per day. Uh, now, it seems right now that most of that was a bubble. Right. Uh, it was driven by domestic uh, investors who wanted to make a quick buck by uh, investing in uh, quickly tra uh, changing dollar, and that bubble seems to have been blown. That's a good thing. Uh, but if you look at the uh, interest rate differential between U.S. and Korea, uh, well, the uh, Korean won right now, the current rate about 1,300 won, it's about similar to where it was in July. Mm. And in July, U.S. interest rate and Korean interest rate were the same at 1.75%. But now there's a 1% point differential between the U.S. rate and the Korean rate. Mm. And it's expected to grow to 1.5% when the FOMC meets on the 12th. Uh, so there's a substantial interest rate differential that wasn't there before. So I still... So I expect the uh, currency to begin depreciating again, mm. go higher. Uh, but hopefully it won't be such an explosion this time. It'll go slowly. Uh, hope, uh, I don't think if uh, it just purely depends on the fundamentals, I don't think it'll go beyond 1400. Uh, but still the uh, elements are saying that the uh, depreciation is more likely. In the uh, previous interest rate differentials, we did have one case where uh, even though there was a significant interest rate differential, Korean won gained value. Mm. But that was when Korean trade was in surplus, which is not the case right now. It was when there was a lot of foreign investors coming into Korea. Uh, that is a bit mixed evidence right now. Uh, Korean investors left 
during most of this year. They've been coming back in the last few weeks, but we don't know whether they're going to stay. Mm. Uh, so I wouldn't count on the uh, Korean won gaining value until uh, the uh, U.S. interest rate stops going up. Uh, but it's a uh, good news, at least the uh, the readjustment of the exchange rate has given us some room to breathe, which is one reason why the Bank of Korea only raised the rates by 25 basis points at the last meeting that they had. Right, so it's a bit of a mixed bag of good news, bad news perhaps this week, which I guess is better than all discouraging news that we've gotten used to in recent weeks. Uh, but we'll see if that holds up in the weeks to come as well. Uh, we'll leave it there, Professor Yang. Thank you for your analysis as always, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 45.51 points, or 1.84% on Friday, closing the week at 2,434.33. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell 7.65 points, or 1.03%, to close the day at 732.95. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 0.21 against the U.S. dollar, ending the day at 1,299.91. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We've come to Korea Trending Now, our daily segment looking at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have with us Walter Lee to bring us those stories. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Chang. It's always good to see you. Okay, and what stories do you have for us today? Okay, so first we'll talk about prosecutors indicting the grandson of the founder of a food and dairy corporation, among others, on drug possession and drug abuse charges. We'll also learn about the first official solo album of BTS leader RM. And finally, we'll discuss Japan's stunning win over Spain in the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Okay, let's jump into that first story. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so prosecutors have indicted the grandson of Namyang Dairy Products Company's late founder, Hong Duyong, on drug possession and drug abuse charges. Now, according to the legal sector on Friday, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office detained the 40-year-old Hong on November 15th. Now, Hong is accused of habitually using marijuana and sharing the drug with close friends and acquaintances. It is said that many of those who use the drug with Hong are grandchildren of founders of key conglomerates. Okay, so how many are we talking about here? So reportedly, prosecutors have so far indicted nine, including Hong, and are looking into more suspects who might have used marijuana with Hong. Now, some observers say that the figure could end up rising. Now, prosecutors plan to speed up their investigations to close the case by the middle of this month. Many observers say the case could end up becoming a major drug scandal involving the third generation of chebos or conglomerates. Wow, so this could develop into a bigger scandal then. Uh, Meanwhile, this is not the first time that a grandchild of Namyang Dairy made headlines due to uh, drug-related charges, right? Yeah, that's correct. So the late founder's granddaughter, Huang Hana, was sentenced to one year in prison, suspended for two years for using methamphetamine between 2015 and 2018 with friends. But she ended up being behind bars for 20 months after she was arrested in 2020 for using drugs during her probation period. She was released from prison last month after completing her sentence. 
Right, we talked about that story in the past as well, as it was a trending headline. Mm. Uh, while we know her name, we don't actually know the name of the grandson who has been indicted, mm. other than his surname Hong. That's uh, all that's been di- disclosed for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, has there been any response from him on the latest charges? Well, what we know is that he appointed a prosecutor turned lawyer who has an abundant experience in drug cases to represent him. Now, Hong's first trial is set to be held on December 23rd. Okay, we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so, RM of K pop sensation BTS has released his first official solo album. The group's management agency, Big Hit Music, announced that RM's solo album, Indigo, was released at 2 pm Friday, roughly four years after the singer released his mixtape titled Mono. Now, Big Hit Music said the BTS leader included his thoughts and concerns in the album, adding that he took part in the entire making process, including writing the lyrics and songs, as well as the the album's concept and music videos. Now, the 28-year-old included images related to the color indigo in various parts of his album in contrast to Mono's design, which is largely black and white. Right, so another solo project from the boys. Mm-hmm. I understand that the singer and rapper made attempts to express his feelings in other ways in the lead-up to the album's release. Yeah, that's correct. So in a photo he revealed ahead of the album's release, Aram wearing jeans and a denim top is seen sitting on the floor with a short stool next to him loaded with several pairs of jeans. Now, on the wall behind him is a 1972 painting by the late Yoon Hyung-gun titled Blue. Now, with the photo, the singer apparently was aiming to portray the album Link's music and art while also expressing the colour indigo, which coincides with the album's title. When we talked about his album previously on our show, we speculated about which artists could be taking part in the making of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who are some of the artists that were featured on Indigo in the end? Okay, so of the 10 songs in the album, eight are collaborative work with artists such as Cho Yu Jin of the Korean band Cherry Filter, American singer-songwriter Erica Badu, American rapper Anderson Buck, and Korean singer-songwriter Kim Sa-wol, and the British singer-songwriter Mahalia. Now, among others, there are, there are also among others, RM plans to hold a small concert at a later date to meet with his fans. Right, so no Pharrell, it seems, as we had previously speculated, but some very interesting names on there nonetheless, and I'm sure it'll be storming the charts very soon as well. Let's move on to our last story now, and we have some more surprising news from Qatar. That's right. So Japan has shocked the footballing world by advancing into the round of 16 of the 2022 FIFA World Cup after beating global powerhouse Spain. Now, Japan stunned spectators with a 2-1 win against Spain in the last Group E match of the Khalifa International Stadium in Al Rayyan on Thursday. Now, with the win, Japan secured six points to climb above the Europeans, who finished on four points to take the number one spot in the group. Now, with Spain earning a berth in the last 16 as in second in the group, Germany lost their chance to advance to the knockout stage by placing third, despite beating Costa Rica. Yes, this follows on from the unexpected feat by Australia that we talked about on the show yesterday mm-hmm. as well, which I'm sure you would have been very delighted very uh, with happy. Walter. Yes, very <laughs> happy, I'm sure. Uh, but this is another truly great achievement for Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times has the country previously qualified for the round of 16? So a total of four times. So in 2002, 2010, 2018, and of course this year. In particular, Japan became the first Asian country to qualify for the round of 16 in two consecutive World Cups. Also, the last time an Asian team advanced into the knockout stage as number one in their group was in 2002, when 
when South Korea enjoyed such a feat. But it initially didn't look like it would happen this time around, as Spain's Alvaro Morata got the opener in the 11th minute, but goals from Ritsu Doan and Ayo Tanaka in the 48th and 51st minute respectively clinched the top place for the Japanese. Yes, it was an incredibly close result in the end. Uh, the move that led to one of the goals included the ball staying on the pitch by mere millimetres, it seems. Right. And a draw would have meant that they were going home. But to make it to the top 16, they did. Uh, has the country ever made it as far as the quarterfinals? No, and that's exactly what the team is hoping to achieve as it competes in the next round. Now, they are set to face Croatia, which finished second in Group F in the knockout stage, while Spain will face Group F's winner, Morocco. Yes, and hopefully South Korea can get further inspiration from Japan's feet to find a way to beat Portugal as well tonight. Uh, we'll talk about that more later. But for now, that's all for Korea Trending. Walter, thank you for those stories and have a good weekend. Have a good weekend. It's time for our Friday feature now, Movie Spotlight, reviewing some of the latest cinematic releases at the Korean box office and online. And casting their critical eye over those releases, for us are our film critics. This week, we have our principal duo <laughs> back together again, Jason Bechevace and Darcy Paquette. Gentlemen, it's great to see you. Great to be here. Yeah, great to be back. Welcome back, Darcy. <laughs> yes, it's good to have you back, Darcy. Well, uh, this week we'll be looking at two local releases on your turn, Darcy. The first is a historical drama. It was released last week, but it is sitting atop the box office this week as well after having generated strong word of mouth. It's called The Night Owl, or Ulpemi in Korean, and it is held by the first-time director An Tejin. But it stars very experienced actors in uh, Ryu jun and uh, Yu Hye-jin. So, Darcy, can you give us the introduction? Sure. I mean, the film is set in the mid-1600s, uh, during the Joseon dynasty. And it's not based on real history, but it is based on some real historical figures. Uh, and so it's centered around the crown prince Sohyun, who is abducted by the Manchus while he was in his 20s. And then after eight years, he returns to Korea. Uh, but then soon after, he dies a sudden, unexplained death. And this much is in the historical record. And basically, the film imagines a, a story to go around this. Yu um, Hye-jin plays the King Injo, who is deeply impacted by his son's death. Um, and Yu jun plays an acupuncturist who uh, has day blindness. So he can see very little if there's, you know, daylight or even just a, some candles around. But uh, in darkness, he can see fairly well, uh, although he finds it convenient to hide this from other characters. <laughs> yeah, they just assume he's blind. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, and then this character witnesses um, the death of the prince. He sees something that he wasn't supposed to see. And mm. so that sets the story in motion. I see. Okay, so Jason, there have been many Korean films and TV dramas based on kings of the Joseon dynasty or earlier eras. Is there anything about this film that makes it distinctive or which makes it stand out from that tradition? Um, yes. I mean, some of it we've seen before, you know, it's got a bit of the palace intrigue, of course, which is, you know, synonymous with the, you know, the period drama. 
I think what stood out for me was uh, Yue Jin's uh, character, King, uh, King in Joe, and he just he comes across as a bit of a tyrant. And, uh, you know, often kings in, in Korean period films and dramas, you know, you see, I mean, they may have the side to them that's perhaps less... Uh, Less good, uh, but you know, on the whole, they're not presented as particularly, you know, evil characters. Whereas, whereas King and Joe in this film, he completely loses his mind. Right. And uh, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I could give away a spoiler, but I won't. But yeah, he is a bit. He is rather different, and uh, Yuejin is is absolutely fantastic. The, the acting um, has attracted a lot of attention. Eugene uh, mm. is clearly one of the big talents of his of his generation. It's a very nuanced role. I really liked him. And uh, the production values are superb. You know, it's so beautifully shot. The production design is excellent. Um, And the score is fantastic as well. So there's lots to like. When I read the synopsis, I thought it was a kind of murder mystery. And I'm always in the the mood for a murder mystery. (laughs) But it's pretty clear, you know, um, I wouldn't say early on, but certainly well before the end, you know, who the culprit is. Right. Uh, So it's not really a murder mystery, but uh, there's a lot in there that I liked. Right, so it's a bit more of a thriller then, uh, yeah. perhaps, uh, Darcy. Uh, Jason already mentioned uh, some of the performances. Uh, Darcy, what did you make of the film and the performances? Because uh, the two main actors, they're on the film's poster right uh, there in the centre, and it's being marketed partly because of the strength of its cast. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, they are two really impressive performances, I think. And it does seem to be a big part of what is driving word of mouth. And, you know, it's great to see Yu Jin playing a king. I believe this is the first time he's ever played a king. And, you know, you have certain actors who maybe are, uh, you know, cast for this role, but he has always been such an interesting actor and to see kind of what he does with, you know, this kind of, yeah, this kind of performance. I mean, sure. he, he really has a, a strong presence uh, that's different from the previous roles that he's done. So, uh, so that stood out. And he's played more of like a peasant characters, really, hasn't he? Yeah, often. I mean, he, um, I mean, everything from dramas. Yeah, and well, he's traditionally a, a character actor. You right, know, right. he was never a leading actor, but he's he's proved quite successful um, playing you know quite big roles in films. You know, yeah. Confidential Assignment and so on and so forth. Yeah. And he's so good at comedy too that yeah, I think sometimes people. You, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, he's great at delivering those lines. He's, he's, his face is, it's remarkable watching his face, almost like Song Gang Air, he can do all sorts of things. Um, yeah, Taxi Driver, you know, he's in that as well. He plays quite a significant role. Um, yeah, no, he's clearly talented. Um, and yeah, the acting here is, is, is fantastic. And what about the director, Jason, Antejin? As you said, it's his feature debut. Uh, how do you think he did, considering it's his uh, first major film as director? It's really impressive. Mm, you know, this yeah. is a feature <laughs> debut, and it's just really well put together. And I think uh, he was an assistant director on Eugenics, The King and the Clown, which, of course, is this major hit from 2005, one of the most successful period dramas in, in Korean film history. And it's taking him, you know, well over a decade, you know, 17 years, well, actually close to two decades <laughs> yeah. to get a feature off the ground um, and I think at the moment the films that seem to be working are the films that you have to watch on the big screen mm. and I'm really mm. glad I watched this in the cinema it's not a film you want you, you can of course watch it on a, on a stream well stream platform later on but certainly I'd recommend watching this on the big screen sure and uh, you think he's a promising actor then with a bright future uh, promising director, director sorry, <laughs> with a bright future head yeah definitely I, um, I mean it's taken 
as Jason said, a really long time <laughs> for him to make his debut. But I, I hope that his second and third films come, you know, within a few years. Yes. Yeah. Generally, a very positive review from our two critics there for The Night Owl. Let's move on to our second film for this week, and it stars the ever-prolific Madong Sak, or Don <laughs> Lee, as he's often called in English. He was the star of the year's biggest film to date, uh, the crime action movie The Roundup. His new film, Men of Plastic, or Ap Kujang in Korean, has very little action, but it does play on his rather gruff image, Jason. Uh, what can it you tell does, us about yeah. it? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, the English title refers to, you know, uh, this this uh, this area in uh, Kangnam, you know, south of, the, south of the river, a very affluent area, uh, which is, you know, well known for its, uh, its yeah, its hospitals, you know, uh, that uh, focus on plastic surgery. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the Apgujong uh, title, that's where the, the, the Korean title comes from, and they play... Uh, play around with the syllables as well. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so Madong Sok plays this man. He's, he's somewhat of a opportunist, uh, very much uh, yeah, just trying to f- seek out any opportunities that he can. Um, and so he, he comes across this uh, this old friend of his uh, who has, is, happens to be a plastic surgery, a surgeon, rather, and he, he's lost his licence. And so the two of them kind of come together uh, and try and uh, make... That basically build a hospital that becomes this like mecca for Korean kind of beauty culture. <laughs> right, so a bit of a, a yeah. odd couple story, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so Madong Sok has a bit of a, a thuggish chancer uh, next to the uh, plastic uh, surgeon. Right, and it's also worth mentioning actually that the film is set in 2007. Okay. Um, so I think, yeah, kind of pre like plastic surgery boom mm-hmm. um, and so they're trying to take advantage of that i see so as you said we get a hint of the movie that it is a bit of a comedy uh right darcy yeah but it's not a typical comedy um i mean we there's certainly scenes that are comic and you know madang sok is <laughs> kind of delivering jokey lines all the time but uh, at the same time it's this classic kind of narrative where you have these heroes kind of rise from nothing and experience great success but then eventually you know cracks start to form in that success mm. uh, and and so there are parts of the film that you know I, mean, I don't know it feels unusual or distinctive to me and partly you know as a film critic that's what you're looking for in a film is mm. that it's somewhat different from the typical comedy um, on the other hand you know the characters I didn't find them particularly likable right uh, <laughs> yeah and then you have you know, I mean, this relationship, this Hyung Dong Sang relationship at the center of the film, that um, it always kind of feels like a relationship of convenience. And then, um, you know, and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> in some ways. So it, um, it's not, I think if you're going just to look for a really entertaining and funny and mm. lighthearted film, that audiences might be a little bit disappointed and they won't quite get what they're looking for. Um but it is interesting. Like, I right. can't okay. think of other films quite like this. Yeah, so you've got these um, two characters, kind of a bromance developing. And that's one of the characteristics of so many Korean films. You know, you've got these, you know, just look at the films dealing with North and South Korea. You have mm-hmm. you have these kind of two characters who, who have conflicts, but at the same time, you know, they have this kind of endearing relationship. And so that's very much plays out in this film. And then you've got this backdrop, Apkujong, which is this kind of, 
a place where you can get rich and it doesn't betray the you know the place in a particularly positive light because it essentially corrupts their mind and they become mm. very um focused on basically you know making some money but also potentially screwing the other person over um and so um that bit i quite liked about it and certainly you know madong sok's character is you know he brings together that part kind of action hero but but also that kind of more kind of scruffy or uh edge to him as well and almost kind of like cute you know and i mm. think um that works quite well but yeah it's it's but it's not a film that you can necessarily say i wouldn't compare it to the night owl for example and uh you know that film i would strongly recommend to watch in the cinema whereas right. this one you know you can perhaps wait <laughs> <laughs> okay darcy were there still parts to enjoy and actually what was the film's attitude towards plastic surgery like i couldn't quite get a sense of it uh, from the trailer either yeah i mean it's not particularly judgmental about plastic surgery yeah, it's, it kind of references it rather than kind of a running okay. critique of, you know, mm. uh, plastic surgery. Mm. Yeah, but it is sort of kind of like an origin story for, you know, the neighborhood of Apkujong and, you know, becoming this center for plastic surgery. And so it imagines a, yeah, it imagines an origin story for it. Um, yeah, and yeah, again, that, there are parts of the film that I like. Um, I won't say that I, I didn't like it. Uh, we do get to see Ma Dong Sok doing a slightly different kind of character and doing a lot of acting rather mm. than, you know, kind of like physical comedy. And he is a talented actor. Uh, it's just, it's, it's kind of an odd story. Right, a bit yeah. of a mixed bag of a film then, okay. <laughs> so that was Men of Plastic, one of a large number of films actually that are out in theatres this month, which is uh, one last question that I want to squeeze in today. Uh, there are Korean independent films such as Nobody's Lovers, Hey There, Fairy, uh, through my midwinter, when winter comes, Usu, Trans, and also the more mainstream films, A Birth, Decibel, The Distributors, and Ditto, in addition to international releases, Bones and All, She Said, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Jason. It seems like we're getting an overload of films now well, we're coming out the other side of the pandemic. Yeah, this is kind of... Well, before the pandemic, it was dumping... Well, I call it dumping, <laughs> dumping season, season right? Yeah. So you, you, basically, <laughs> distributors, they, they have to... Well, they decide that they have to release, you know, this film or a certain number of films by the end of the year. And so they just... Yeah, they, they just basically throw all these films out there. It makes no sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this month alone, we have, what, 26, no, 25 releases. Wow. Okay. Actually, 25 Korean releases. I don't know how many there are in total. But yeah, a lot. And uh, um, uh, yeah, Sadie, uh, I, I, I really Great like that, yeah. that. That, I think, is one of the best uh, K-horror debuts in recent memories. So uh, if there's a film that you, you, you really want to see that you and the two films that we talk about today don't interest you, go and see that horror. Sadie. <laughs> OK. Uh, perhaps there's more to come uh, before the end of the year is up as well. Well, we're out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. Jason, Darcy, thank you for your reviews as ever, and we'll see you again soon. Yep, thank you. Take care. It's time to wrap up the show now by looking ahead to what's happening next week in our segment Next Week from Seoul. And providing us uh, with the previews are, uh, is our staff editor, Richard Larkin, who's here with us in the studio now. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. 
Okay, so what's the first thing we should look out for next week? Well, here's a reminder that in around four hours at midnight on Saturday Korea time, South Korea will face off against Portugal at Education City Stadium for a chance to move on to the next round of the FIFA World Cup. This is the Taegu Warriors' last chance to make it to the last 16 after losing and drawing their two previous matches. If they win, they will need some help from the other Group H game, with Uruguay beating Ghana by two goals or less being the ideal result. While Portugal are ranked ninth in the FIFA rankings against South Korea's 28th, there is some good news for Team Korea, as Portugal's coach Fernando Santos said in a recent press conference that it's 50-50 whether the captain Cristiano Ronaldo will play. Right, because Portugal have already qualified for the round of 16, Korea will be hoping that they take it a little easy. Uh, <laughs> it's out of Korea's hands, unfortunately, but I just hope that they leave everything on the pitch without regrets and that they go out fighting, even if they do go out in the end. OK, let's uh, move on. What's the next thing we should look out for next week? President Yoon suk Yeol will hold a summit with Vietnamese President Nguyen Suan Phuc in Seoul on Monday. The meeting comes as the Vietnamese president will be in South Korea from Sunday for a three-day state visit. The presidential office said that both leaders will discuss ways to boost bilateral cooperation in politics, security and the economy. They also will talk about regional and international issues. This is the first time that the foreign leader will come to South Korea for a state visit since Yoon took office. The trip also coincides with the 30th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic ties between South Korea and Vietnam this year. Okay, so that's next Monday. Uh, What's the last thing we should keep an eye out for next week? We mentioned on the show recently that Talchum, a traditional form of Korean mass dance drama, was inscribed on the UNESCO Intangible Cultural Heritage list on Wednesday. Well, next week celebrates 10 years since something else became an intangible cultural heritage, and that is the Korean traditional song Arirang. To celebrate its 10th anniversary, Miryang City, which is home of the Miryang Arirang, will hold a special performance on Monday at Miryang Arirang Art Center. There will also be traditional performances of the song by Pansori singers, Korean traditional orchestras, and the singer Park Gun. The performances will take a look back at the 10 years of the song's UNESCO registration. Okay, so that's where we'll wrap it up. Richard, thank you for those previews, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up the show as well. Thank you for staying with us. Join us again on Monday when we'll have our sports roundup either celebrating Korea's win and making it to the top 16 or commiserating Korea's being knocked out. Either way, we'll go over it all on Monday as well as the rest of the day's headlines and updates. Till then, we hope you have a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.